Good morning. Well, for the past few weeks, we have been contemplating the wonder of it all. God's promised gift that called for patience. God's choice of Mary that called for acceptance. And God's calling of Joseph that called for obedience. And today on Christmas Eve, we're going to see the wonder of God's voice as he spoke in Christ. So please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. And when you find that, please stand with me if you are able as we read God's word. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, today that you would Open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in it for your glory, Lord, for your kingdom, for Jesus' sake. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And please be seated. I sent my first text message the other day. Now, since I finally figured out how to send one, I sent another one the next day which prompted one avid text messenger to write me back, you are a text messaging animal. (laughs) I have not sent one since, because I forgot how. The communication landscape today is dominated by cell phones and email and text messaging and instant messaging. Now, I know they're convenient. I use them all the time. At least I use my cell phone and email all the time. But call me old school, but I would rather pick up the phone and talk to you, or better yet, meet with you in person so that I can look you in the eye and also hear your voice inflections. It's really interesting today regarding cell phones. 80% of adults now have cell phones. In fact... The fastest growing group of new users are 6 million 10 to 14 year olds. Next to that, there are 500,000 5 to 9 year olds dialing up as well. But with all the tools of communication at our disposal, we still have trouble communicating. Misunderstood emails, dropped cell phone calls, silence on the other end. Now, how about our communication with God? Do you ever feel like God is silent? Do you ever wish that you could hear a word from God, but you feel that he doesn't speak to you? If so, I've got good news today. 
There's nothing wrong with God's communication. It's perfect. It's without error. Hebrews 1 tells us that God is not silent. God spoke. He is a speaking God, and he wants to communicate with his people. He's to be listened to. He's to be understood. He's to be followed and obeyed. And if you remember nothing else this morning, I want you to remember this. That God is a speaking God. And he speaks so that we would know him. So that we would love him. So that we would follow him. So that we would obey him. God's primary way of sending his communication to us was through inspired human representatives. He didn't write his word in the sky. He didn't beam his word wirelessly to each individual. No, what he did was when he sent his message, when he got his message out, he sent it out through different people in various ways at different times and places. Now, verse 1 in Hebrews tells us that God spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets. Mary confirmed this in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, that he spoke to our fathers. So did Simeon, so did Zacharias in Luke chapter 1, verse 70. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Here's the point. It was the prophets who gave the message, but God was doing the speaking. He spoke to the fathers. And when they heard that message, they were hearing God speak. Peter explains it. In fact, go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. We read these words, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God used his chosen, inspired, human instruments to speak, but it was God who was doing the speaking. God had described his program of redemption and his will for his people. Among other things, through Micah and through Isaiah, he told them that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, named Emmanuel, which means God with us, would be God in human flesh, would be born to bring peace And would rule on David's throne forever. Verse 1 tells us that God spoke in many portions. Over a period of maybe 1800 years. From the time of Job in around 2200 BC to Nehemiah in 400 BC. The Old Testament was written in 39 different books. By various means at different times and in different places. Now, verse 1 also tells us that God spoke in many ways. 
His word came by direct revelation. It came through dreams and visions, symbols, parables. He spoke what he wanted his people to hear through different literary styles and forms. There was a progressive nature to the former revelation. It was done in different pieces, coming in different portions, different courses, segments, layers. And this is good. Think with me for a minute as just the fact of how you approach the scriptures when you read them. And sometimes you come across something that is hard to understand. Sometimes you read a book in the Bible and you know it and you love it because it's God's word, but you just you go, I, I, I can't grasp, grasp the meaning. I, I don't get what, the, what, what God was saying through this author. Well, God spoke in so many ways that if you don't get it in one place, you'll get it in another. If you can't figure out Leviticus, maybe you'll hear him clearly in the Psalms. If you don't get the message of Malachi, maybe you'll understand Isaiah. If you don't get the strange visions in Ezekiel, maybe you'll understand the sufferings of Job. God provides many opportunities to hear him in the Old Testament. He has spoken. He is not silent. So when I complain to God, Lord, you're silent, I want to hear from you, I am lovingly corrected and rebuked by him. See, it's kind of like uh, complaining that there's no food at the Orange Hill uh, restaurant Christmas buffet. (laughs) Just because you're standing outside and you can't see the many tables and serving stations laden with mouth-watering food such as beef, chicken, three kinds of salmon, salads, crab, clams, desserts, and more. By the way, I recently went there and ate a little more than is necessary. (laughs) But you could eat at that place in many portions and in many ways. The point is here, God is not silent. God has spoken. He did so through different people at different times in different places in different ways. So how does God speak today? God has spoken to us in his son. Look at verse 1 again. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 basically says that God spoke in two phases. One before the coming of Jesus and the other through the coming of Jesus into the world. All the separate pieces came together in Christ. He puts it all together. Verse 2 says, in these last days he has spoken. Jews would have understood these days to mean the time when Messiah would come. The fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies began when Jesus came on the scene. And the point is, the last days began when Jesus was born. That first Christmas day, the last days began. Ever since he was born in Bethlehem, it has been the last days. And the scriptures tell us that in these last days, he has spoken in Christ. 
Now, up to the time that Jesus appeared, God spoke through the prophets. Now he speaks the message of redemption through his son, through Jesus. Formerly, he spoke through those chosen, human, inspired representatives. This time, he sends one from heaven. However high the readers regarded the former revelation, however great it was, it was subordinate to the Son. They now must listen most closely to the Son of God. Jesus is God's ultimate communication. Hebrews is the most Christ-centered book in the Bible. It shows the superiority of Christ. It was written to a group of suffering, persecuted Jews living somewhere east of Israel. Some were believers, some were unbelievers. And amongst those unbelievers, there were some that were intellectually convinced and others that were unconvinced. They were looking for a better priest to go to God on their behalf once a year. They were looking, and they missed Jesus when he came. What the writer of Hebrews wants us to see and wanted them to see was that God's communication in Christ is greater and better than all the other portions and the ways in the former days. This opening paragraph of Hebrews is this beautiful statement of Christ's superiority, the greatness of Jesus. It shows the Son of God to be the best vehicle for divine revelation, better than the prophets, better than the angels. There were some in those days that believed that Michael the archangel was higher than the Messiah. Hebrews 1 specifically states that Jesus is better and higher and greater than the angels. There will be no further communication on the topic topic of salvation. No third phase of God speaking into history. Jesus is God's final word on the subject. And the sacrifice that Jesus makes for sin is better than the previous sacrifices. The greatness of Jesus really makes preoccupation with anything else unnecessary. Now Hebrews 1 tells us several things about Jesus' superiority. The first thing it tells us is that he is the heir. In verse 2 it says, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Galatians 4.4 4 tells us that when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, literally threw him out to earth. The Greek word is ekbalo, to cast him out to earth in a good way for a good purpose. To be born of a woman, to be under the law so that he might redeem those that were under the curse. Jesus was the only son. God sent forth his son. The only son signifies that there is only one heir. Everything will ultimately come under the control and authority and sovereignty of Jesus. Now this inheritance is what the father has given to the son as the firstborn. And in Christ, the amazing thing is believers are joint heirs. That we share in that inheritance in the saints. 
Jesus is the heir, and he is also the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. It says, through whom, verse 2, through whom also he made the world. He laid the foundation of the world. Look down at verse 10. Oh, you, Lord, speaking of the Son, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. The world was made through him. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God, and everything that came into being came to being through him. He made the universe, time, space, energy, matter, and everything to make it function properly. He is the sustainer of his creation. He upholds all things by the word of his power, as we see down in verse 3. The end of verse 3, he upholds all things. By his word. His word is so powerful that all he has made is sustained by that very word. Colossians 1.17 tells us that in Jesus, all things hold together. Can you imagine the mess this room would be in if it didn't right now? Even the, the very molecules and atoms and everything in the room, if, G, if, if Jesus was not holding the whole universe together, this room would be a mess. Let's just put it that This room wouldn't exist, and either would we. Jesus is the heir. Jesus is the creator and sustainer. He is also God Almighty. This passage of Scripture, along with Colossians chapter 1 and John chapter 1, Set forth the deity of Christ clearly, plainly. Verse 3 says, he is the radiance of his glory. The radiance, the brightness, the shining, the light of his glory. Jesus is not merely reflecting God's glory as we are to do. He is actually shining out his own glory. That the Shekinah glory of God radiated from him. Verse 3 also says he is the exact representation of his nature. This word um, is, was used of engravings and etchings on metal or wood. Or of stamping an image into a coin. In this case, Jesus is the exact representation of of God, his very essence, a perfect reflection of the God who spoke in him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And Jesus, the Son of God, that means he is God. Now, the son of Mike Shera. Michael Shera is a human like me. The Son of God is divine like God. Now Hebrews 1 also tells us something else about Jesus, that he is the Savior. Look at the last part of verse 3. When he had made purification of sins, he had made cleansing for sins. It points to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The only son, the only heir, 
the only Savior from sin's power and penalty, substituted himself in our place, taking the punishment for his sin upon ourselves. You may say, well, I I heard that before. I remember when I was a children's pastor, I would be teaching the Bible to kids, and they would uh, often, someone would cry out, hey, I heard that one before, as if I heard it once, I've got my quota. The thing about the gospel is, we're not supposed to just hear it once. We are supposed to live in light of it every day of our life, from here through eternity. See, the Jews were thinking, someone is going to come rescue us from our enemies. Someone is coming to set us free from the oppressors outside of us. Well, Jesus was coming to rescue them. But not from evil outside them, but from the evil within them. He would save their people, from, his people from their sins. That's what Simeon and Anna looked forward to in Luke chapter 2. The consolation of Israel. The Savior to come. It's not, he will come and set others straight. Which is an easy attitude to fall into. But he will come and set us straight. Herod. On the flip side, in Matthew chapter 2, was so sinful, so blinded by Satan... Didn't want any rivals to his throne. So when he heard of a king that would be born and had been born, he went and slaughtered the innocents. Those babies that would be about the age of Jesus. Those young children. See, Jesus came because man was not innocent. Jesus loved us so much that he did not want us to stay in a sinful condition. He came to free us from the evil inside us. There's one more thing this passage tells us about Jesus. It tells us that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. That he reigns on high. The last part of verse 3 says, When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down, pointing to the finished work of Christ, indicating that his work of redemption was finished and points to his present work as intercessor and mediator on our behalf. It says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. That Greek word is megalo, greatness. He sat down at the greatness, the right hand of the greatness on high. Think back to Luke chapter 1 verse 32. What Mary was told about Jesus, he will be great, mega. He will be majestic. You'll be awesome in power. And here Jesus, as, when he 
finished paying for the sins of the world, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, everything before Jesus pointed to him. Everything after him points back to him. All of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. As Hebrew chapter 1 points out, he is better than the prophets, greater than the angels. And if you go through the book of Hebrews, you'll see better than anything and everything. Jesus reigns as Lord over all. I love this passage of Scripture. I I love it. In fact, a few years ago, I I thought if I ever get to preach on Christmas Sunday, it's going to be Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. See, this passage of Scripture tells the whole story. From Christmas to Easter, the truths that we ought to remember not once a year or one season of year or two seasons a year, but every day of our life. Every day that God gives us as a gift. God has spoken, and he wants us to listen. And you know what? Throughout history, some have listened and obeyed, and some have not. Adam and Eve didn't. Noah did. Pharaoh didn't. Moses did. Saul didn't. David did. Eli and his sons didn't. Samuel did. God has spoken. He has spoken through the burning bush. He has spoken in the still, small voice to Elijah. And God has spoken to us. God has spoken to us. And if God has spoken to us, that tells me I better sit up and listen to what he has to say. See, whenever I'm tempted to complain that God is silent and that I need him to speak to me, I am reminded that he already has. And he still does. In his word, his infallible, inerrant, strong, powerful Word. He speaks through his word. And Jesus is that word. He wants us to listen and not merely be hearers who delude ourselves. He wants us to be doers of his word. I remember back when I was in college, I had this 1981 Honda Civic four-door. I actually got rid of my 73 Pontiac Formula Firebird to buy this gas-saving vehicle. And I remember driving down to Pasadena one afternoon to go to the UCLA football game. And when I came back to my car, someone had taken and broken off my antenna. Some vandals, some hoodlums had uh, vandalized my car, and it really bugged me. Because I could not get reception until I got it fixed. You know, in those days, that was the option. The radio in the car. See, there's nothing wrong with God's communication. But it's our openness and our hunger and our receptivity for it that's lacking. 
It's like we have this spiritual antenna that's supposed to receive God's word, but it's broken. And only God can fix it. And when he does, then we can hear clearly. It's interesting in Samuel's day. In Samuel's day, we're told in Samuel chapter 3 that hearing a word from God when he was alive was rare. It didn't happen very often. So one night he's sleeping. And he hears his voice. And he runs to Eli, the the priest, and says, yes, you called me? And he says, I didn't say anything. Go back to sleep. Happens again. Runs back to Eli. Happens again. Runs back to Eli. Eli goes, you know what? God is speaking to you. So the next time he speaks, say this. So he goes back, and God says, Samuel. And Samuel says, speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. Say whatever you want, Lord, because I'm listening. He responds. And God's message, God's voice necessitates a response. How about us? Our problem is that we look to something besides Christ to sustain us, to make us happy to bless us, to fulfill us. We listen to the wrong voices. We give ourselves over to idols. Romans 6, 14 says, Sin shall not be master over you, because you are not under law, but under grace. But we are only under grace and free from the control of idols to the degree that we have turned from those idols, repented from those idols, and rested in the saving work of Jesus Christ instead of what we go to to fulfill us and make us happy and bless us. Who Jesus is and what Jesus did, coming to earth, dying on the cross for our sins, and rising from the dead is God's word to us. His coming into the world marked the beginning of the end of sin. And regarding responding to the message of Christmas, that means believing and living the gospel. The gospel speaks to the entire Christian life. Not just coming to know Christ in salvation. And the gospel must be brought to bear on every area of life. Tim Keller, the senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, says it well. He says, the gospel is not just a way to be saved from the penalty of sin, but is the fundamental dynamic for living the whole Christian life, individually and corporately, privately and publicly. In other words, the gospel is not just for non-Christians, but also for Christians. This means the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. It is not accurate to think the gospel is what saves non-Christians and then what matures Christians is trying hard to live according to biblical principles. 
It is more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel, and then we are transformed in every part of our mind, heart, and life by believing the gospel more and more deeply as our life goes on. We've got to live that truth. That's tough, isn't it? Isn't it easier to think, Jesus saved me and now I'm on my own? The Galatians had that problem. And Paul said to them, who has bewitched you? Who, who taught you that? And that baby, by the way, that was born in a manger in Bethlehem that first Christmas morning grew up. But with a dramatically different purpose than any baby that has ever been born. See, the babe in the manger came to die on a cross to save sinners. He was born and he grew up in a culturally perceived shameful circumstances. A mother who had gotten pregnant before she was married. Going to Bethlehem to find there was no room for them because even their relatives would have been ashamed to have them under their roof. But Jesus was sent for that purpose. He lived for that purpose. He died for that purpose. He came back to life for that purpose. And he is coming back for that same purpose. You see, as the people waited for Christ's first coming, we now await his return. Throughout Jesus' three-year ministry, he brought God's grace to people who were marginalized and coming from shameful situations and excluded, and he rescued them. He rescued them from their prisons of shame. He spoke peace to those who were in turmoil. He gave hope for those who had none. And he does the same today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. In a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father said this, This is my beloved Son. Listen. Listen to Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we... We come to you humbled by your awesome, awesome power. We come before you today in awe of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And we do thank you, Lord, that those here who know you have been rescued from prisons of shame. We thank you, Lord, that you speak peace to all who are in turmoil. We thank you, Lord, that you give hope for those who have none. 
We thank you, Lord, that you want to do that even this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to say something to two groups here before we go. If you're a believer in Jesus, or if you're not yet a believer in Jesus. First of all, if you're a believer in Jesus, I just encourage you to walk close to Jesus, to receive his communication, and and to communicate to him through prayer, to, to cling to Jesus every day. We, we have to. Really, there's no other. We don't have another option, do we? Are there any other good options out there? I don't think so. But if you don't yet know Jesus, if you haven't come to know Christ, and I say not yet because if you, if you are still breathing and alive, there's hope. <laughs> it is appointed unto man once to die, Hebrews 9.22 says, and after that comes the judgment. So if you're still alive, there's hope. And what better day to meet Jesus on a, on a, at a time set aside to remember his coming into the world? And I encourage you, if you don't know Christ, if you can't say, you know what, I'm a, I'm a born-again believer in Jesus. I'm one of those. You can't say that. And, and God is just tugging at your heart, really speaking to your heart about that. I encourage you to come to know Jesus this morning. In fact, I'm going to pray in just a moment, and I'm going to encourage you to, to pray along with me, uh, to just to accept Jesus into your life. You can accept his forgiveness. Accept him as your creator and sustainer, as the Savior and as the Lord. Well, let's pray together right now. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, and I pray that we would all in this room be ready for the second coming of Christ. Lord, for any here that want to come to know you, Lord, may they pray something like this. Lord Jesus Christ, I admit that I am more weak and sinful than I ever believed. But in you, I am more loved and accepted than I could ever hope. I thank you, Lord, for paying my debt and taking my punishment and offering forgiveness. And I turn from my sin and receive you as Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to ask you this morning, too, if, if, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to come up after the service and talk to me. Just let me know what you did. It's always good to do that and to actually uh, verbally uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas.